scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses um, 1 to 20. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all of the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flock, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to look at the passage that was just read for us in three sections this morning. So we begin with verses 1 to 5 of Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Who was the hero in the brief narrative I just read? Is it Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, who had called for this empire-wide census? He was unquestionably the most powerful man in the Roman Empire. 
Augustus was the emperor who emerged victorious after the chaos that followed the assassination of Julius Caesar. He now reigned over an empire that stretched from Britain on one side to Egypt on the other. Or is it Joseph? He was the one who was heading towards Bethlehem with his wife, Mary. He was the one to whom the angel had appeared, telling him that the child that Mary born, that Mary bore was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that they should call him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. No, the major actor in this little drama is not Augustus, nor is it even Joseph. The major actor in this drama is not mentioned by name. It's God. You see, it was God who prompted Augustus to call for that census that people should return to their ancestral homes. And it was the result of that divine action that Mary and Joseph found their way heading towards Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary came from Nazareth in Galilee, some 145 kilometers north of Bethlehem. But God intended that their child should be born in Bethlehem. And so he orchestrated events to make that happen. When he issued the decree concerning the census, Augustus had no idea of what God was planning. But God was using him to accomplish his purposes. God moves in mysterious ways. He even uses a pagan emperor who had no knowledge of Joseph and Mary at all to accomplish his goals. It may seem strange to us that Augustus was an instrument used by God to accomplish his purposes. But God is the Lord of history. He is the maker of heaven and earth, and he continues to direct affairs in the world that he made. Now the sovereign Lord was in the process of implementing his master plan for the salvation of fallen humanity. He was about to introduce into the world the one who would be its savior. And so it is that Mary and Joseph found themselves on the road to Bethlehem so that they could be where God wanted them to be when Mary gave birth to Jesus. But why Bethlehem? To answer that question, we really have to go back in history a thousand years to the time of the greatest king of Israel, King David. Jerusalem is often referred to as the city of David, but David actually came from a much smaller city, the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the birthplace of Israel's greatest king, and it was also destined to be the birthplace of great David's greater son, the Messiah. Some two and a half centuries after the time of David, there was a prophet in Judah named Micah. 
Micah was grieved by the idolatry and immorality he saw in the world around him, and he warned the people of God's coming judgment. But he also spoke of God's mercy, that the time would come when God would send his people a king who would deliver them from oppression and from injustice. And he wrote of that in the book that bears his name. In Micah 5.2 we read, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Micah was prophesying the coming of the Messianic king, and he predicted that he would be born not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. And so now we see Mary and Joseph making their way to Bethlehem, not simply because a Roman emperor had issued a decree concerning a census, but because God was sending a successor to King David, a king who would be much greater than his ancestor, a king whose rule would bring justice and peace, and whose kingdom would be universal and eternal. And so, in fulfillment of Micah's ancient prophecy, Joseph and Mary were now on their way to Bethlehem so that their baby would be born exactly when and where God had planned. Let's stand together. I was like really into it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that's me. We're up. Let's, uh, let's sing away in a manger.
and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. God had this messy plan, a plan to save the world. And to do that, he was going to send his son. Where does the God of the universe send his son? Where, where, where does the King of Kings and Lord of Lords come? To a barn, a stable, a, a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this wasn't any ordinary king. When I say it was messy, I mean messy. It was a barn, stable, right? So you've got animals and animal stuff, manure, mud, a pitiful place for people much less a place for the king of kings to be born why would god do that well i can't tell you for sure because isaiah explains to us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways but that same prophet 400 years before jesus was born said all we like sheep have gone astray each of us to our own way and that he has laid our iniquities on him. You see, Jesus came to a messy place. Oh, yeah, a barn, a manger, that's messy. But he came to a messy world. Why? Because the shepherd was coming to take care of the sheep, to prepare a way for them to go home. That's what a shepherd does. He lives where the sheep are. He sleeps where they sleep. He eats where they eat. It got Jesus in trouble. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because that's what the shepherd does. An angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. A sign. You ever wondered what that sign was? A sign for what? Maybe a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. A sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person because Jesus never had a home, never had a place to rest his head. Maybe it was a sign that God would have nothing to do with the social status of mankind, a sign that he detests the splendor of humans because it's not worthy of him. But it was a sign for us that we should follow suit. In fact, the Apostle Paul later on would write, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Although he was the very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he made himself nothing, becoming a servant, being made in human likeness. A servant. You see, being a servant is, is messy. And Jesus set this incredible example for us. I mean, he got down on his knees and he washed feet. The God of the universe, the God who deserved the best of everything, got on his knees. He's the God who came to the world and was laid in a manger, a feed trough of all places. Why such a messy place? Because he was following a messy plan. So needless to say, that very first Christmas was dirty. It was grimy. It was, it was filthy. <laughs> but thank God it was. Because without it, what a mess we'd be in. Well, I want to pick up where Sid left off. And just looking at two verses now, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, I probably should stick to just one thought, but I have two this morning. Um, first of all, I want to talk about the right time. I wish I had remembered exactly Sid's last line because I think I could have just continued and uh, from right, uh, right from that place. But one of the things that I think sometimes is missed in the Christmas story is how all of these events unfolded at just the right time. Sid has already spoken about how Mary and Joseph's journey was part of God's plan and a fulfillment of prophecy. And now once they are in Bethlehem, but not until they are in Bethlehem do the contractions start. Not before or during the journey, but now, once they've arrived in Bethlehem. This is an example of God's sovereignty, which is a big word meaning that God is in complete control of everything that happens. Everything. Even the things that make no sense to us. The painful things, too. Five months after Lucas was born, um, <clears throat> Tina was diagnosed with a, a rare disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome, or GBS. I'm curious, out of all of you, how many have ever heard of GBS before? Just raise your hand. Just a handful of people. And uh, it was the first time I had heard of it. But it's a rare disorder in which uh, a person's own immune system damages their nerve cells. It basically turns on its own body, causing muscle weakness and sometimes paralysis. And in Tina's case, the symptoms actually started just days before Christmas. And so every year at Christmas, it's somewhat of an anniversary for us. In fact, on Christmas Day, 1998, 18 years ago, and I remember it as if it was just this year, Tina was intubated and put on a ventilator because she was no longer able to breathe on her own and ultimately moved then, as a result of that, into the intensive care unit. 
wasn't exactly the way that we had expected to spend our holidays. And for the next week, she lay almost completely paralyzed, receiving various treatments, while news of this situation spread. The church that we were serving at the time prayed, and they shared it with friends and family who prayed. And then I started to write an email update that was passed along to others and probably passed on and on to who knows where. This was 1998. You think about it, the internet had actually just sort of become a little bit mainstream. It wasn't even that popular yet. Hotmail didn't start till about 1997. I was using a dial-up modem. Anybody even, some of you probably don't even remember what that is or don't even know what that is, I mean. Maybe you've forgotten to. Anyways, uh, but those were, in a very real sense, less than ideal circumstances for us. And there's so much more to that story, but obviously, Tina fully recovered. Four weeks in hospital, another four weeks in rehab, and then another four weeks at home before we went to visit a doctor for a final visit when he looked us in the eye and he said to have ended up on a ventilator and to be fully recovered in three months is a miracle. There are no other words. James in chapter 1 verse 2 writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I can assure you that at that particular season in our lives, we didn't feel much joy. But I did have a deep sense that all of that was happening for a bigger purpose. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I could go on and on about the good that came from Tina's illness, from a church that prayed, a a church that unified and rallied together, to now, even years later, often having the opportunity to share with and encourage others who are diagnosed with GBS. About a year ago, a friend of ours in Calgary, who has a sister that lives in Grand Prairie, who golfs with a lady at the golf club, whose daughter was diagnosed with GBS and was at the university hospital, made contact with us, and Tina was able to go and visit and offer encouragement and pray with her in that situation. You see, when you are in less than ideal circumstances, when you are suffering in pain, or in sorrow. It's often, it's, it is almost impossible to see the good that might come out of it. And I don't know what your circumstances are or what you might be dealing with even today, but I want you to know something, that there is a rightness about the timing of that. Everything is in God's control, and God has a purpose for it. Now, I know I could say a lot more about that, but one more quick point. Because not only was it the right time, it was also the right place. Mary and Joseph, they arrived in Bethlehem, as Sid had already introduced us to that. And they couldn't find a place to stay, and so they ended up in what was a stable or a barn. Uh, What we don't know exactly maybe it was. I mean, some historical evidence even suggests that it was maybe a cave or something like that. But what we do know that the scripture is explicit about is that they laid him in a manger, which is just a nice word for a feeding trough. So you can see why the connection would be made to being born in a stable or a barn. God 
the creator of the universe, being born as a little fragile baby in a stinky, messy place, as we just saw in the video, with straw, of all things, for a bed and a manger for a throne. Think about this for a moment. Jesus didn't need to arrive as a poor child of parents of no importance, but he did. He did not need to make his first bed a simple manger, but he did. He did not need to to give up the throne of heaven to, to walk among the dust and dirt of this world, but he did. It's a pretty humble entry into the world for a a king who would rule and reign. Now, it's not a hard presumption to make to think that the innkeeper would have gladly found some room for them if Mary and Joseph, or for Mary and Joseph, if he knew exactly who um, uh, was being carried inside her. I got space for a king. But in the end, they found a shelter with animals using this feeding trough as a cradle. Think about what this says about the kind of God who would do this in this way. I mean, I've always thought that, I mean, this is such a strange way to save the world. A child born to a virgin at the right time, in the right place, to live among us and then to die for us. God had a plan that was being worked out in exact detail. And the king was born on that day, one who reigns with power and with love. And so the only question I'll leave you with this morning is this. Does this king rule and reign in your life? This king who was born at the right time in the right place who is able to take your less than ideal circumstances and turn them for good, working out the details of your life just the way they are supposed to be, does he have your heart? And is your life totally and wholly surrendered to him? Do you trust this king with your life? I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing a song that I suspect is maybe new to most of us, I heard it for the first time this, earlier this week when I saw the, the songs being put together. And uh, it's a powerful anthem of worship just called, He Shall Reign Forevermore. And it really is just a declaration of His Lordship. And I pray that this would be a true reflection of His Lordship in our lives as well. So let's stand and sing. In a stable for a throne, and he.
No sooner was the Savior of the world born uh, than an angel was dispatched from heaven to make the grand announcement of his arrival. And isn't it fascinating that the, the announcement first comes to shepherds? I mean, we have noted this with amazement through the years. And it's incredibly uh, significant, especially because the shepherds were generally regarded as lower class lower than the rest of society. And some would even use the word despised. Amazing that the profound message of Jesus' birth was entrusted to shepherds. They were, they were the outcasts from all respectable society. The biggest, 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 
biggest announcement that would ever come to the world. And who would God send the message to? To shepherds, to lowly shepherds. How God honored the shepherds to announce to them before anyone else that Christ was born. There's an old story about the church in a small community which held a a Christmas pageant for 47 years with the same director. For years, the church's pageant ran like clockwork because Mrs. Williams was a perfectionist, and perfection was her goal, nothing less. Perfect lines, perfect pacing, perfect everything. The problem was the director's commitment to perfection was greater than her commitment to children. But her reasoning was, when there are too many youngsters, there's no control. So just a few kids. However, the church had been growing. Younger and younger families were joining, which meant more and more children. And and more and more children who weren't in the Christmas pageant. So the children's ministry department, which included three mothers of last year's rejected Marys and Josephs and shepherds and the wise men, made a policy change. All children who wish to be in the Christmas pageant may do so. Parts will be found for them. Well, that was more than the long-term director could handle. She resigned in anger and disgust. Although the old director and some of the members felt the pageant would fall flat in its face this year, it didn't. However, it was different. There must have been a dozen shepherds and 20 angels, a real heavenly host. There were a couple of dozen sheep. And those boys and girls must have studied their parts very well because on the night of the production, just like real sheep, they wandered all over the church. And when Mary and Joseph entered, Mary was clutching a doll wrapped in a blue blanket, and Joseph walked solemnly beside her, and the narrator was supposed to read the biblical story about Joseph going to Bethlehem to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And one of the young moms realized the children could not understand the English of the King James Version and about Mary being great with child, so she switched to the Good News Version. So as Mary and Joseph entered, the narrator read, Joseph went to register with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him. She was pregnant. At that last word, as it echoed through the sound system, little Joseph froze in his tracks. He gave Mary an incredulous look. And then to the congregation, pregnant? She's pregnant? What do you mean she's pregnant? Of course, the whole place cracked up, and the pastor's wife, wiping tears from her eyes, said, you know, that may well have been what Joseph really said. The former director had a smug look, which said, I told you so. But then Silent Night was sung, and a couple of magical things happened. First, the sheep bleated their way down a side aisle and sat in in the pews to watch the conclusion of the pageant, And the former director was surrounded by the very children whom she had excluded. Second, through the windows, the people could see that the snow was beginning to fall. And the entire church became very quiet. 
It wasn't planned that way, but for a very short time, no one moved, including the sheep. Then one of the elderly women, who was hard of hearing and always speaking too loudly, broke the spell when she whispered to her husband in a voice that all could hear, Perfect! This is just perfect! And it was. It was perfect. It wasn't perfect in production, but it was perfect in the way, in the way things are perfect. The way God accepts our fumbling attempts at love and fairness and covers them with grace. And so that night of Christ's birth was filled with unexpected, like the very first to know being the shepherds. It was perfect. God was amazingly delighted with entrusting the message to the shepherds. What honor, what trust. And friends, that's what God thinks of us. That's how God responds to us. doesn't matter who we are. doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't have anything to do with our background. It has nothing to do with all of our embarrassments in life. It has nothing to do with our mess-ups. He loves us. He loves us, and he comes to us. As someone has said, if God had a refrigerator, your photo would be on it. He loves us, and he has come for us. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we're so in awe of what took place only 2,000 years ago. The one who always was, always was, became subject to time and space. It's an amazing story. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to retell it again in 2016. The story of the incarnation that you became one of us. And we love the ambience, Lord God, that humble entrance, that soft announcement to the shepherds. And Lord, on this Christmas day, we eagerly give you our hearts, we give you our commitment to walk with you and to be about the work to which you have called us. So thank you for your blessing. Thank you for this Christmas day. In Jesus' name, amen.